It's too late. Klingon. Human. Solid. Your worlds are on the verge of destruction. So, your Federation will What is happening? He's a changeling. Don't let it get away. Transfer complete. Hello and welcome to Subspace Transmissions, the podcast where two Trek fans step into the arena and tackle the best, worst, weirdest, wildest, and everything in between that Star Trek has to offer. I'm Cam Smith and joining me on the bridge. This is Tyler Orton failing to rejoin the Great Link. And we're here this week to talk about 17 Seconds, the third episode of Picard Season 3. And we're going to break this down. And we'll also be joined by a guest later in the show, Taylor Ramone, who popped in. What season was it? Was it Picard Season 1, Tyler, the last time Taylor was on? Um, cause It's so hard to figure it out just with regards to what happened during the uh, pandemic, exactly how... Uh, yeah. It all, those last three years all all just kind of collide for me. But uh, we're happy to have Taylor back after a, an extended break. Before we get there, um, some big news coming out of the uh, Star Trek universe, Cam. Uh, shocking news. News that you and I have not been talking about for the last year and a half, Cam. <laughs> uh, I think it's longer. I think it's longer than a year and a half. <laughs> well, here, look, uh, Star Trek Discovery, uh, its fifth season will be its last. Uh, you and I have been saying that would seem to be have to be the case just from an economic perspective we've been saying that for a long long time uh i'll just break it down you know like streaming shows they don't go for seven seasons they really don't i, I mean you've got the crown um i can't really think of any more you know that like I, i'm sure there's maybe a couple out there or, or something like that but uh really the the business model is three or four seasons you're doing like 10 maybe 13 episodes tops and a show like Star Trek Discovery, it, it's not grabbing new subscribers at this point. All the folks that have, you know, wanted to join for Star Trek Discovery have already done so. And it just, it doesn't make sense for the show to really keep going on because it's just prohibitively expensive to produce this show. So uh, the other news, though, is instead of premiering later in 2023, it sounds as if the show, oh no, the show will be uh, instead, having its season five premiere in early 2024, and they are doing some additional shoots, and that tells me that maybe the creators had left the door open for another season if they're going to get, be given the pickup. But now that they know that uh, they aren't, um, I think they want to, um, you know, kind of uh, tie some loose threads uh, at this point. But uh, Kim, what's your reaction to news that Discovery will be wrapping after five seasons? I mean, my initial reaction was just complete blasé, like, yep, that's fine. I mean, it's been really interesting reading the response to this news, where a lot of people were very heartbroken by this news, and I saw so many people who were like, I could not stand the first two seasons, and I have loved what they've done in season three and four, whereas I come down on the opposite side, where, like, I really enjoyed season one and two, my, you know, obviously they had 
issues, but I enjoyed those first two seasons. And I have not at all really enjoyed season three and four. So the idea of not getting another season, you know, past five that would perhaps be like three and four, like, that's okay. I'm fine. Let the show go. But yeah, it just has been interesting. Whereas like, I think, you know, a lot of other Star Trek shows when they go off the air, it's kind of like the fandom is very much of kind of one mind and one voice when they kind of express their sorrow over it. Discovery, it's been way more conversation back and forth going on. Yeah. Uh, who knows? Maybe the fifth season will be so amazing that there will be a big fan campaign to bring it back for a sixth season. Uh, uh, maybe kind of get the Star Trek continues or Axonar treatment. Uh, right, Cam? <laughs> Perhaps. I mean, I know a lot of fans say it's got to be seven seasons. Seven is a completely arbitrary number. It it's is. Like, just because, you know, TNG and the other Berman era shows are not including Enterprise, but the other ones went seven seasons. That doesn't mean that like seven is a like carved in stone number as to how long a show should go to be successful or anything like that. Like, it's entirely just random. I, I still find it funny. I mean, like, there there are people that are like, oh, Enterprise only lasted four seasons. Well, when it's all said and done, Enterprise will have, like, what, 35 more episodes uh, in the can compared with uh, Discovery? Yeah. So, you know. Um, what does this mean for the future of Star Trek? Like, does this portend to anything specific? And, and I bring that up because we do know that there has been a major rethink on these streaming services in terms of what wall street saw for a long long time was you need to pour investment dollars into this no matter what and you know that that'll get the stock going and well netflix started losing subscribers and i think that's when a lot of these big companies are saying okay well let's buckle down let's figure out the business model to make it profitable now and what we're seeing is cost cutting um it doesn't shock me that Discovery just doesn't have a business model that works for it. We also know that uh, Picard, uh, this is its third and final season, despite, you know, the actors saying, like, we'd love to work with each other. We love each other. Uh, we'll do a movie. We'll we'll be on a feature film. I'm like, <laughs> you wish. We'll do a Broadway play. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that kind of just would leave Strange New Worlds. Um, I like how people still think that Section 31 would happen as, like, a series. Like, I don't know, maybe a six-episode miniseries with, you know, Mere Giorgio. I, I, I could picture that, but I, I don't see a Section 31 ongoing series. Um, Starfleet Academy, um, they've been talking about that since, what, 2017, 2018? Yeah. Um, uh, we saw that what seemed to be like a backdoor pilot in Season 4 of Discovery with uh, Tilly apparently kind of leading the way. Um, that was one of the most horrifying premises i could ever imagine like like that would be like the joke version of starfleet academy in terms of how <laughs> bad it was so i just i don't yeah. see a lot of momentum for the future of live action star trek just based on economics yeah i mean i think when you have picard and discovery go off the air they're going to have probably a second live action star trek show on the air you know because obviously strange new worlds will probably go for a few more years um so my guess is there's going to be two of those and possibly, you know, the two animated shows will just continue onwards. I don't know what the future of Prodigy will be uh, past season two, but it seems like kind of a safe bet those two will continue on. So the question to me is more like if they're going to have maybe one more live action series going in the future, like what is it? And I, I mean, we'll get into Picard in a moment, but when I was watching this latest episode, I really began to think of like... You know, this the franchise has lately been opening with the Star Trek universe 
you know, fanfare stuff. This episode we're going to talk about has obviously a lot of tie-ins to Voyager and DS9, TNG. I, I just wonder if like where we're going to go with the next live action show is a show that very much plays in the familiar universe that everyone kind of knows and can kind of pull from all these different sources. The way that the show, um, you know, we're going to talk about this as well later, The Mandalorian. The Mandalorian's back, so we're going to tackle the premiere later on. But like... It can kind of look at all the various aspects of Star Wars. I think the next Star Trek show is going to do the same thing, the way that Picard Season 3 is doing it. Um, So I don't think a second live-action series is necessarily a, a guarantee at this point. Like, we, we just... There haven't really been any real solid rumblings about it. Just a lot of, like, maybe, uh, say, Terry Metalis, who is the showrunner of Season 3 Picard, he said that he would love to do something... I just I I think what Paramount Plus needs to figure out is kind of the economic model here first, and, and whether it's worth that investment. Um, it seems like they're doubling down on the the Yellowstone universe. Uh, I yep. Maybe that's going to pay more dividends than the very expensive effects heavy Star Trek universe. You know, um, I agree with you. Yeah, I, I see. I could definitely see Strange New Worlds, um, just based on the fanfare and the positive reception that it got from critics. Uh, and fans alike during its debut season i could picture that going for five seasons for sure um but i also wonder if they're like hmm do we need three series or more on like i i i think maybe like a kid show a cartoon show for adults and a live action series a little bit more family oriented that might just be enough for paramount if they're trying to cut down on uh, uh spending at this point I, I would hope that there's more live-action Star Trek, but I'm, I'm I'm not necessarily banking on it just at this point. I'm definitely not banking on a Starfleet Academy show, uh, because, like, why? Like, I, I like the concept as a Star Trek fan, but if I'm creating a new show that I want to get eyeballs the way that, say, something like Strange New Worlds has appealed to people, I don't know that I'd be looking that closely at Starfleet Academy. And to me, Section 31... Literally the only reason to ever make this show is if Michelle Yeoh does sign on the dotted line to come back because you can market it off Michelle Yeoh, who there's potentially going to be the case where she will be an Oscar winner, you know, by the time that show would air. We'll see. Uh, it's, I guess, March 14th or something like that, or the 12th, we'll find out. But I mean... And you're talking about the Oscars, when the Oscars will be airing. The Oscars, yes. Yeah. Not when the uh, Section 31 uh, series will make a surprise <laughs> debut <laughs> that we weren't even expecting. No, no, no. But it's like, if you can sell the show off her star power, okay, makes kind of sense to me. Other than that, there is zero reason to ever make this show. Yeah, I... I... Uh, who who wants this show, I guess, is what, what I'm asking. But it's interesting. I remember like maybe 10 years ago, you know, uh, Ron Moore, who uh, co-executive producer of Deep Space Nine, he was and the writer of uh, co-writer of uh, Generations and First Contact. Uh, he was asked online, you know, would he ever want to do a uh, a Star Trek series, like create one? And he said, yeah, of course. And so he followed up. And he's like, well, what would the premise be? Like, he's very quick to respond. He's like, it, it's not the premise that I so much matters it's like i haven't really i don't really have a premise in mind it's more like the characters and the character dynamics like that's what i have flowing through my head and we can get into it with this episode of picard as well but i'm i i'm glad that we have somebody out there realizing like uh it's far more interesting when you have like kind of a character dynamics and character first versus kind of a story first or like a 
kind of a, a, a premise centric sort of series, you know, like Strange New Worlds, it, it's it's not like th- this bizarre concept for a show by any means. It's like, yeah, it, it takes place like, what, five or six years before Kirk. Yeah, I get that. It's very easy to figure out, you know, and I, I, I whereas like, Cam, <laughs> try to tell somebody the premise of season one of uh, Picard. I'm <laughs> just like, uh. Uh, what? <laughs> okay, yeah, sure. And to me, there's always the issue, you know, when you consider a Section 31 show about Mirror Giorgio, Mirror Giorgio was a real blast on Discovery. Like one of the highlights, even in season three, a season I did not care for of that show, but very much a supporting character. And I worry about Jack Sparrow syndrome, where suddenly you take this very quirky, edgy supporting character and make them a lead, and you've got to start filing down edges because they are not really a driver of a season-long story as a protagonist. Yeah, you know, um, I, I, I wish the Star Trek universe the best at this point. Uh, certainly I'm invested as a, a huge fan and a podcaster, but I just, I, I'm a little bit wary about what the future holds, just considering how much the entire streaming service landscape has been shaken just over the last 10 months or so. Yeah. I mean, even, you know, Marvel, who most of their shows have been hugely watched, are kicking several of the shows that were supposed to come out in 2023 to 2024 just to kind of spread out what they've made. So, yeah, I mean, I think this cost cutting is going to be pretty impactful on many streaming networks. And uh, Star Trek, it's not invincible. It's not invincible the way, say, like the Star Wars shows probably are or some of the Marvel shows. Star Trek, it's still a niche thing. Despite the fact that uh, Alex Kurtzman believes it can be a Star Wars, or at least that's what he sold the executives on. Yeah, well, uh, I think that's fool- very foolhardy to say. <laughs> very foolhardy. <laughs> All right, sir. Uh, you want to jump into 17 seconds uh, of this yeah. latest episode of Picard? Let's do it. All right. Um, hmm. So I, I, I'm sitting there. I'm watching this show. And I'm like, wouldn't it be nice if you could just focus on, like, one or two characters for an entire episode and, like, every episode isn't just leaning so hard on this forward momentum of a story that is still kind of mysterious to me? It's like, yeah, we've also seen the, you know, trapped in some sort of anomaly uh, uh, sort of premise of a of an episode done to much greater effect. You know, I'm thinking about, uh, you know, Wrath of Khan is, like, the easy go-to. But there's also uh, Starship Down from Deep Space Nine that I thought was quite effective. And we're also having kind of vibes of the Deep Space Nine season three finale, I believe, uh, which was The Adversary. And yep. um, I'm, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm just watching this. I'm like, huh. Okay. If after the end, we only have, what, like seven more adventures with this TNG crew. And we're spending a whole lot of time... Like watching Raffi run through the streets chasing after a drug dealer. And I'm like, I don't care. I just don't care. This is not how I want to spend time here. Uh, despite the fact that, you know, Worf's able to body slam a changeling and. Through a table. Um, Get it right. <laughs> through a table. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, sure. I, I, I just like, I, I, okay, this is what's irking me more than anything else. And again, we're only three episodes in, but just to hear the reviews, the early word coming out, you know, like, ah, oh, 
they finally got Star Trek right again. Oh man, Picard season three, it's amazing. I again, how much stock do you put in reviews? Who knows? But I just wonder if, if what was happening is like all it really took to make people satisfied with a Picard series was just nothing but familiar faces, which is just kind of what this seems to be. Um, I also found the de-aging effects uh, with uh, uh, Picard and, <laughs> and Riker yet again horrifying. Uh, not yeah, quite yeah. as horrifying as what we saw with Data in season one, but um, pretty close. I think they chose that dark bar for a reason. Yeah, yeah. It, it very much reminded me of... Um, that scene in uh, X Men Three uh, once again, when we're seeing uh, uh, when uh, uh, Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen, like the young, uh, facelift versions of themselves after uh, they're meeting Jean Grey for the first time. Well, Cam, what's your initial takeaway from Seventeen Seconds? I think, in some ways, I'm a little more positive in that I think this is my favorite episode that we've gotten so far of season three. It was the one that at least pulled me in the most. Where, you know, I think you are. A little right, though, when you say, you know, having old faces come back because the Raffi stuff became instantly more interesting to me because of the presence of Worf and learning more about where Worf is at, seeing the kind of dynamic between the two of them, seeing what Klingon casual looks like, finding out about, you know, the Great Link and all the kind of the ramifications of DS9 stuff like that sort of storytelling really pulled me in and I was interested. I was also really invested in listening to Picard and Beverly talk about their relationship and what happened with the son. That stuff so kind of bothers me because it's very David Marcus from Wrath of Khan, like very David Marcus from Wrath of Khan. But nonetheless, having Gates McFadden and, you know, Patrick Stewart play off of each other, I thought it was like a pretty well-acted, intense scene. So like it had a lot of interactions between characters that I enjoyed. I liked even seeing you know, um, Jack Crusher with Seven of Nine for a while, investigating sabotage on the ship. In that regard, this one really entertained me and left me kind of like wondering, look, this is not like the greatest episode of Star Trek ever made. I would say, though, it might be my second favorite Picard episode, maybe after Nepente. It might be, Um, which says maybe more about the Picard series than anything, but... To me, this one mostly held together really well and left me frustrated that why weren't we at the very least hitting this kind of level as sort of our, you know, as as our bar and we can go above and beyond that. But like, why, why does this feel like a special episode to me when it should be like a really solid continuation of a story arc kind of episode? Hmm. Okay. The uh, Picard and Crusher stuff, I found it irksome. It was, again, it, it, it wasn't Picard the character that we know. It was, it was Patrick Stewart, you know, playing some other character in Picard's skin. Just the mannerisms, um, the reaction. It's just not the Picard that we know, you know. It, 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 it's not how I felt he would have reacted to this sort of stuff. Ken, we literally saw this episode uh, back at the very end of Season 7 of TNG, Bloodlines, you know. And uh, it, it's Picard thinking he has a son. At this point, he knows he has a son, and he I, I can understand from his perspective why he would feel betrayed by that, but I just find the entire premise of the conversation as if Beverly Crusher, as a pregnant woman who no longer wanted to be in a relationship with this man, was somehow morally obligated to tell him about this. Like, that's how they're framing 
this disagreement is that she is morally obligated, despite not wanting to be in a relationship with this man, to, and she's the bearer of this child. And that to me just left me going like, eh, maybe this is like 1990s television writing, but that, like I think we've come further along in society uh, since then. Um, you know, so that was irksome. The other stuff going on here is, you know, Picard and Riker fighting. And it, it felt more arbitrary than organic. You know, let's have them. It, it's not so much philosophical differences, which they kind of tried to push there, the writers, as it was strategic differences. And then Picard kind of is kind of below the belt sort of shot where he's just saying, like, you're so fearful of loss. And of course, he's taking aim at um, the loss of Riker's son. And, you know, we have that uh, sequence early on in the episode in which they're at the bar, you know, toasting to uh, Thaddeus. And then we have um, Troy appear very briefly. But once again, this wasn't Deanna Troy. This was Marita, Marina Sirtis. <laughs> like, this is like, so true. It, 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 like, for anybody who's been, here's why it's like kind of my, my trips to the conventions have really kind of shattered some of my enjoyment of Star Trek right now because I know this is how Marina Sirtis like acts, you know, like I need my whiskey, yeah. I got puked all over me. I'm just like that. Deanna Troy would never be like that though, and I know people are gonna say it's like, well, it's character growth, or how do you know how she would be like as a mother? Maybe she's more like Loxana, and I was just like, there needs to be some sort of continuity here, and it's just for the fact is. It's Marina Sirtis playing herself, and you know that from being to the conventions uh, so frequently as well. And, and so it's just like there's so many parts about this episode that just kind of rubbed me the wrong way. The thing that I liked most is a mention of you know the Great Link and uh, Worf having a, a very close friend. I didn't know that he and Oda were, were that close as buddies as, as Worf seemed to imply but you know there you go well but, um, tyler we are going to do a special episode looking at all the great wharf and odo episodes pretty soon right <laughs> how many exchanges between wharf and odo do you recall <laughs> beyond i think the second episode that wharf appeared in and they had to have a conversation with him like you're no longer in security you have to leave you know security of the station to odo i really can't yeah recall many great odo and wharf moments um I recall that there was like a double date scene where it was like Odo and Kira and then Dax and Worf. So I guess they were together then, uh, kind of away from company business, if you will. Beyond that, uh, did they walk next to each other and butta bing, butta bang or anything like that? <laughs> no, uh, Worf was hanging out in Ops uh, during that episode. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, that's true. Um, who wanted to be on that double date less, Worf or Odo? Oh, that's an excellent question. Yeah. Um, I'm going to say Worf wanted to be there less. I think Odo at least was sort of like, you know, he knows Dax. They have some familiarity. So I think he feels maybe more at home hanging out with kind of the two of them versus like Worf is just such an, like he wants to be isolated. He wanted to be like alone probably on the ship listening to Klingon opera. Okay. Okay. Um. I don't know. So, like, I, I guess there's, a, like, a breakaway terrorist faction of the Great Link now? Yeah. So, okay. So I guess they got through the wormhole, and um, 
the visual effects have made you know um, changelings in liquid form look like something coming out of a porta potty, and when <laughs> yeah. um, why didn't it glow? Like you just make it look like kind of transparent and glowing. Like that's a more I think that would work far better than what looked like as you said. Um, yes, uh, runoff of some sort. <laughs> yes, um, I like how Raffi's like stop it. <laughs> so Worf like incinerates. The, the changeling, I'm like, uh, okay, well, that's one way to do it. Um, <laughs> that would have solved a lot of problems on DS9 if Warford just incinerated <laughs> changelings. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, the actor playing that uh, gangster that uh, was captured by Worf and Raffi, was he a Nepo baby? Is that how he got a job? Because that was some of the worst acting I've seen on Star Trek Picard. <laughs> like, it was just ridiculously bad. Like, I felt embarrassed for the actor. He looked kind of like a gothy Aaron Paul, but with like, without the acting talent. <laughs> it was just like, okay, sure. It, it was pretty brutal. Like um, it was, yeah. So, um, the story so far this season. Uh, 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 help me out with it. Help me out with it. Mm. Uh, in case I'm getting lost, because um, around episode three, episode four, any given season of Picard, that's where the, the story starts to take hold, and um, sense starts to dissipate from storytelling and i hope that's not where we're going this uh this particular season so um from what i understand cam the daystrom institute was broken into and Rafi was tasked with investigating stolen items yep and then Worf was a subcontractor working on the behalf of starfleet intelligence who is tasked to be Raffi's handler. Yep. And the same technology that was used to destroy that Starfleet recruitment building, it's also the technology that Vatic was using that made the Titan go through the Doctor Strange portals. <laughs> it was a very cool visual. Yeah, yeah. And then... What we're ultimately finding out, though, is that the the changelings are behind this, and it's to mask the disappearance of an even more dangerous weapon from the Daystrom Institute, which, based on what we got from the preview, like the season three pre uh, trailer, was that uh, it, that could be lore, or it could be Moriarty, who... You know, <laughs> the greatest weapon of all, <laughs> the greatest weapon of all, a hologram, a holographic program, yeah. I should say. And um, Jack Crusher is being sought because ultimately the changelings want Picard for some reason. Is is that what I don't think it's Picard. I think the changelings are working with someone else, a shadowy figure. And that honestly, I sorry, but it, it, this is what the, the show is trying to telegraph to us so far. Like, yes, versus yes, like what correct, our theories yeah. might be. This is what the, the, the series is telegraphing at this point. Yes. Um, but they haven't emphasized like a mastermind figure, really. They've yeah talked about these changelings. I honestly just think like the lore and Moriarty is going to be more of the same distractions to hide what the true purpose is because uh, they would also be stolen from the Daystrom Institute. Um, that is my suspicion. I don't think we're going to find out honestly what the big villain plot is until maybe episode seven or eight. Great. 
Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> nothing's better than when you're you're obscuring the motivations and keeping it very mysterious as to whatever your antagonists want. You know, nothing better. There will be a sky beam, probably. That's my guess. A blue beam from the sky coming down. Right. <laughs> hey, here, here's like a my prediction. You know how um, the, we're being told that uh, uh, by the changing that you know your worlds, and he was speaking to Worf and Raffi uh, in reference to you know uh, Kronos and Earth. Your worlds will be destroyed. Don't we kind of know that their worlds won't be destroyed because you know we're watching. Star Trek Discovery, and, and well, we know for a fact that uh, Earth's still around in, in about 930 years. That is true. Yes, very accurate. It, it, it's hard for them to build tension based on the, these kinds of premises, knowing that, well, it's not going to happen. And guess what? We could have already guessed that it wasn't going to happen anyways, even if we had not been watching seasons three and four of Discovery. I, Whenever I hear an alien... Their plot is to destroy Earth in a Star Trek adventure. I'm like, yeah, I'm pretty sure that Starfleet will kick your ass and Earth will be fine. It, like, I just don't think it's a very meaningful stake to have in a, a, a show like this. No, I mean, the whole thing is when you set up that the stakes are destruction of Earth or whatever, it's inherently very superficial and is easily going to be overcome because you know that if Picard and Riker and crew are, you know, in charge on the Enterprise or whatever, in this case the Titan, uh, they're going to save the day and the Earth is not going to be destroyed. It's far more interesting when you come up with a villain motivation. Um, you know, even like, even cons, it's like he wants to humiliate and kill Kirk, which is also kind of superficial, but at the same time, point there's like ramifications that come from that involving like the death of spock and things like that there's more to it whereas like destruction of the earth is like one thing it's like there's no dimension to it that's why i just prefer in general when your villains in star trek are something more akin to like gul madred in like chain of command where it's like what he wants is obviously you know they want the cardassians to have more power but it's about a one-on-one -on -one face off between him and picard where yes picard manages to get away at the end, but there's a real impact of what Gulmer Dredd wanted on him. N failing to blow up the Earth is not going to really impact the TNG crew at all. Or, or saving the Earth, I should say, will not have a huge impact on them. I, I, I'm just so much more invested in those, you know, Chain of Command Part 2 stakes than I am in something yeah. like, you know, Star Trek Nemesis, where Shinzon, his goal is to get to Earth and, and, and blow it up. I'm just like, okay, you know. I'm, yeah. I'm sure Earth will be fine. But what are the impacts on, say, Picard's psyche after he goes through what Golmadred put him through there, you know? Um, and the other thing that irks me, um, it took me quite a while to describe the basic plot so far. With like, It wasn't like I was giving an episode-by-episode, scene-by-scene description of the first three episodes. I was just trying to summarize w what the, the basic plan is behind whoever the antagonists are. That took me a long time to spit that all out. And I'm, I was watching, <laughs> I've been going back and rewatching uh, Red Letter Media Reviews of uh, Picard Season 2 now. And, oh, sorry, Season 1, I should say. And them just trying to summarize the uh, plot mechanics and the plans of the antagonists and just the, the, the looks of confusion on their faces as they're 
like going back and forth with each other and, and they can't agree on it and then they finally agree that it's just it's just too confusing to even follow like that's what i'm very like worried about you know yeah and i mean it looks like with uh this show because i think there's going to be a uh secret mastermind behind all of this that we theorized about you know last week like could it be sila we'll find right. out but right. if you keep this character off screen it's like when you look at the first two seasons you had like uh you know, obviously the Romulans and you know, like, uh, you know, Rizzo and whatever, Narek. And you also had, you know, Soong showing up and Q to a certain degree in Picard season two, who were on screen and having very confusing, obscured motivations. In this case, they've learned a lesson, Tyler. Just keep the villain off screen completely and obscure those motivations. <laughs> you, you wouldn't even know that they have motivations, you know, if we right. don't even see them, right? That's right. That's right. They can show up in like, you know, the penultimate episode of the series. And it's like, there they are. They were behind it the whole time. They were the author of all of their pain. <laughs> uh, it's Damon Bach. I, I, I'm betting you, man. It's, uh, yeah. Um, okay. Um, Captain Shaw, Cameron. Um, uh, remember he came out, he came out of the gate as the coolest new Starfleet character. The, the one that we've all been wishing for, for decades, ever since Jellicoe Grace's screen. And the way that they've kind of neutered him and made him into just like an uh, incompetent oaf over the course of two episodes, extremely, extremely disappointing uh, to see this happen. Because obviously they needed to do that to the character to give somebody like uh, Riker agency and, and take command over the USS Titan at this point. Um, all I can say is I, I, I'm kind of bummed out where we've taken a character I, I, I liked right out of the gate and now i'm just like oh he has to fall into kind of this narrative trap to give our more beloved characters agency here well it was a thread running through this particular episode a little bit of the old ways of the best kind of attitude where you had obviously shaw handing riker the bridge because only riker can get them out of there but you also just had in a smaller moment the doctor on the titan being shown up by beverly and it's like no no you guys bow down to the legends of Star Trek. You new kids, you don't have it. Which is a weird sell for a potential <laughs> next next generation of Star Trek uh, storytelling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, can't wait until we get Shatner back on for his uh, uh, six-episode miniseries with, with Michelle Yeoh, of course. Do it, please. And it is weird, like, um, the Picard character... When I look at this episode, I don't even really think about Picard that much in terms of like what I liked. It's like, I agree. I don't know who this character is. Although, as uh, Will Riker said, he may be positronic, but he's the same man. Okay. Okay. I think you're trying to convince the audience at this point. But the Picard character, when I watch like seasons one through seven, you see Picard often, you know, wrong or present in a way that's not necessarily flattering. But when I get to the end of that show, I genuinely care about that character. And even with his flaws, he's someone I would want to serve under or I can look to as an inspiring leader. When I look at these, like the last three seasons of Picard, but even just isolated to this season of Picard, I would want nothing to do with this man whatsoever. And I think this show, while it's turned around in a lot of, in a lot of ways, at least in holding my attention the last three episodes, this is still not a Picard I would want to spend any time with whatsoever. Well, just how he slumped his shoulders and had to walk off the bridge like Charlie Brown missing the football <laughs> at, at the very end of the episode, you know, with, with 
Riker saying, you just got us all killed. Um, guess what, Cam? I suspect... Um, they're going to live? They're going to live? <laughs> Spoiler. That, that, you know, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Hey, folks, I've, I've been on Reddit, and my research on Reddit tells me they're not going to die. So, um, like, I don't know. It's just kind of like, yeah, it's just... This has not been a very interesting three-season journey uh, into the psyche of one Jean-Luc Picard, like the, the past like couple, I guess, twenty-three episodes in. It just makes him look more. It, it makes him feel like um, remember a, a tapestry, and you get the view of uh, Picard in the blue uniform as a junior grade lieutenant at age sixty. Um, this feels as if this is the character that we've been watching for the past like twenty-five episodes, Cam. It does. It does. I, there was a moment where Beverly was talking about, obviously, her relationship with John Luke, but she also mentioned Wesley and Jack Crusher, you know, the previous Jack Crusher, not the current Jack Crusher. Um, and she's like, I've lost all these men to the stars. And I'm like, <laughs> it's so crazy to me when you get to like the Picard show. In comparison to like the earlier Treks, TNG, uh, it's like the wonders of the universe and exploring and seeking out new life and civilizations. And then in like the TV show Picard, it is a curse, a curse to your soul as a, as a human being to pursue the stars. <laughs> hey, Cam, look up. Look up. <laughs> no, I sh apparently I shouldn't be. I should never be looking up because it'll just ruin me as a human being. <laughs> Um, one thing I did appreciate, though, is, um, like, like as much as I did not like that uh, Picard-Crusher conversation, confrontation, early on in the episode, it does seem as if, like, Gates McFadden is playing Dr. Beverly Crusher, even though she was more mm -hmm. like Commando Crusher in episode one. Um, she seems more like <laughs> Beverly Crusher than uh, Marina Sirtis seems to be Deanna Troy. Um, yep. You know, uh, I guess we haven't really touched on Worf that much you know just with i can't quite put my finger on it with his makeup but there's something like missing and it, it i it's like I, around the eyes or something like that but it looks like michael dorn is shining through so much more just his his faces more so than i i ever recall in deep space nine or tng and again it, it it's not like i think that we're seeing like star trek michael dorn it, it's yeah but there's something just a little like i can't quite like put my finger on it about what's going on with uh with Worf's at least his appearance uh, and other than the fact that he has like white hair like i get that and he's got like a new facial uh mustache or whatever as opposed to the other kinds of mustaches camp i was wondering if perhaps it's because you know michael dorn is you know like all of us getting older and it's like they just didn't want to plaster him in the level of prosthetic makeup that they were putting on him in the old days. So they kept a very simple, kind of more sophisticated design to kind of get across the concept of Worf. You know, the ridges are there and everything. He does look Klingon, but we don't have to, like, put Michael Dorn through, like, hours in the makeup chair. I was wondering if that was the case. Um, I was listening to an interview with Michael Dorn. Um, who was doing the interview? It was uh, Dorn... LeVar Burton and Jonathan Frakes. Uh, and uh, Dorn is saying that he's still doing like two, two and a half hours of makeup uh, every day uh, just to get it on. Oh. So I don't know if okay. it's that. And also, Cam, you said, like all of us, Michael Dorn is aging. 
Cam, is Michael Dorn aging? Uh, this is a very, very serious question. Like he looks, like he looks like he's still forty, and it's just like, I, I, props to him though. I, I mean, like, um, I, I, I wish I could maintain that level up when I'm like well into my sixties. <laughs> yeah, I mean. He can still sell the, like, concept of warrior Worf. Like, when I see Worf in battle, I'm not questioning it. And we've all seen films or uh, TV shows that bring back, say, an elderly member of a franchise or something and try to portray them the way we best remember them, and it does not sell. Like, uh, I don't know. I don't know about you guys, but I'm seeing that trailer for the latest Indiana Jones and seeing CG Harrison Ford on a horse and going, this doesn't look very convincing. Um, but when I see Michael Dorn here playing Worf, you know, in an action scene or even just doing kind of his like meditative, you know, uh, stances with his weapons, I'm like, that's Worf. Like I'm watching Worf. It doesn't feel like kind of an older actor trying to recapture his youth. Yeah. Um, so you're talking about a de-aged, uh, uh, indie on a horse. Um, should the, uh, de-aging effects have been used on Picard and Riker, more like it, akin to that Kirk and Picard scene in Generations where they're just horseback riding and maybe the camera's a little bit further away? Like, really far away. Like, really far away, <laughs> Because, yeah, yeah like, <laughs> this didn't work. It just looked so phony. It's the sort of thing where you go, like, guys, like, you just didn't need to do this. There would, there's got to be a different way to get across this information than this very phony sequence, which I actually like the message of what it's selling, the 17 seconds and what it can mean to a parent. The way that that is an echoed at the end of Picard in the turbo lift going to see Jack in the med bay. Really like the idea, but just I spent more time in that Riker Picard scene staring at the bad CG cover up job than actually like getting emotionally hooked on what Riker was saying. You know, if they had just like, I don't know, given like Jonathan Frakes, like, uh, yeah, like some like dark hair dye and. Like and just caked on a little bit more makeup onto uh, Patrick Stewart and, and Riker, I could have bought that. Like they didn't need to use like this de-aging effects here. No, because how many years earlier do you think this is? So, okay, the the uniform though is kind of the uh, the biggest clue because it looks as if it's supposed to be an iteration on the first contact uniform, and you can look at the com badges, and those are the. Um, the uh generations era com badges as well so my guess is that it, it's just a few short years after riker uh joined onto the titan so i like i i'm guessing it's about five years after nemesis thereabouts okay okay yeah not the most that convincing to line up for you yeah 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 okay well um i, I will say this though the um the 17 seconds kind of echoes that you speak of. I I actually found that a little hacky. Um like the, like I understand Riker having this fatherly protective spirits as like a new father. You know, as somebody expecting an unborn child. Um like Picard hasn't had time to have that investment in Jack. He's known about Jack's existence for like 24 hours at this point. And, and so for them to draw direct parallels, and it's also, there's a big difference between an unborn child and uh, a man of voting age. 
which Jack is, <laughs> you know? And, right. and so I was just like, like, I, I understood what they're trying to do there with those parallels, but it just, it, to me, I just, I thought it was a little, uh, uh, it, it just didn't feel earned, I guess, based on what we know of both characters. I can kind of see it, though, with Picard, because he's just learned that he has a son, and I'm sure that he's going through a real emotional journey, and in that moment is now thinking, like, he's just learned this information, but now this potential opportunity for his future is now going to be potentially ripped away. So I can kind of see it. I agree it's not quite the same thing, but I, I did believe that uh, Picard would be going through a very emotional experience, and I did think it worked. What did you think, though, of the Jack and Seven material in this episode? Yeah, it's... um. So I think what you've got is two charismatic actors. Um, I like both the performers. Um, are they giving them... I, I guess the material uh, like that they're, they're both working with um, seems to be a little bit lacking. You know, like, oh, yeah, let's use Technobabble to explain blood in the water. Blood in the water. Yeah. I think they benefit a lot from just being two very likable performers. I'd like to see maybe more of that with better material to see if there's like some real true chemistry going on here. And I mean, Cam, let, let's be honest. I'm not the only one, uh, you know, or, and, and Jack's not the only one, like, like dreams of seven of nine coming to you while you're like uh, kind of in a, a woozy state that, that <laughs> happens to everybody out there. It's uh, nothing to be embarrassed about. Right. <laughs> I thought they made a pretty like effortless like pairing where I would like to see more material with the two of them because you know you look at how many times they paired characters in the earlier seasons of Picard where it just didn't like it just didn't click in a way that was particularly interesting these two I was like oh they got chemistry I want to see more of this and I want to see more of Seven because I think Jerry Ryan is the MVP of uh the Picard series for recapturing the spirit of her character from her past work like it's an advanced seven but it feels like the seven i know so major points to her and uh yeah I i'd like to see more of this and i will say their dynamic to me felt way more believable and organic than the scene between seven and crash laforge <laughs> uh you mean uh turd <laughs> ferguson right yeah 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 Sorry. Uh, inside joke from episode one that we recorded. Uh, so I guess you would have had to have listened to my uh, love of fake Burt Bert Reynolds as played by Norm MacDonald. But um, I, yeah, I know what you're saying there. Uh, maybe Crash LaForge will light up the screen when uh, her dad returns, hopefully soon. Um, also, like her, her going to seven saying, like, my father is the biggest engineering genius that ever graced Starfleet. And when I wanted to become a pilot, but not a genius <laughs> engineer, I was just like, okay, we get, we get it. You know, Cam, do you go around talking to people about like, um, my father was the best tax man that ever walked Vancouver. <laughs> he could tax like no one else could tax. I will now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, people, uh, Cam, Cam's father worked for uh, Revenue Canada, right? That's correct, yes. Many years ago. There you go. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> mm. I, sh I shouldn't say many. That really gives away his age. I'm sure he'd be like, hey, it wasn't that long ago. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I, 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 you know, it's interesting for me. It's like, I, I don't mind the fact that, like, Jerry Ryan's coming back and playing, like, a different, like, seven who, like, because I, I can understand that she had room to develop and grow. Whereas, like, seeing, like, like you know, Picard play 
like an entirely different character than what we've always known. It's, it's because like he seemed to have a very fully formed personality when we left off with him, whereas Seven of Nine was still coming into her own when we left mm. off with her. You know, so I, I yeah. Um, aside from the the serial killing that she did in season one, um, and two, <laughs> <laughs> I, I I I I can appreciate that this is kind of a uh, a a performance that I I'm liking, like a legacy performance that I feel less conflicted about versus a lot of these other returning characters. Yeah, and I guess we've got a couple more to come, so. Hopefully they fall more on the side of a Seven or Worf than, uh, you know, a Picard or uh, Troy, at least in this episode. I liked Troy way more in Nepente. I thought Marina Sirtis was pretty on point there. Yeah. Okay. Okay, well, why don't we beam over and talk to Taylor about their thoughts on Picard Season 3 and this latest episode. Back with us for the first time since the pre-pandemic era, it is one Taylor Ramone. Taylor, thank you much for joining us back on Subspace Transmissions after um, a, quite a break. Yeah, there's a little bit of a hiatus there, but I'm glad to be back. It's nice to talk to you guys about Star Trek once again. I mean, who else am I talking to Star Trek with? So. <laughs> Well, certainly not your partner, because when I reached out to uh, Carmen uh, Cartanuto, uh, he, he was just like, he was having trouble following all along with the adventures of Picard at this point. Yes. So, um, I do believe, though, you were scheduled to join us for season one episode of Star Trek Picard. And then that was like, when the pandemic happened, the week that the entire world shut down and Cam and I couldn't quite feel confident about like getting guests on remotely via zoom and so i think you had fallen victim to the pandemic not in the covid sense but in the subspace sense so um it's so great for you to finally be back on the show yes I, as far as i know i've not caught covid yet so really? <laughs> i have just, not fallen uh, to the pandemic wow. <laughs> wow uh maybe asymptomatic for three years straight maybe <laughs> okay hope okay. not but <laughs> yeah, no, glad to be back. Uh, I have been keeping up with all things Star Trek. Um, Carmen, uh, unfortunately, he is not as big as of a media TV buff that I am. So I, I stay regular with all the series that I'm, I'm watching. So I've seen all of it. All of it that every Star Trek you can offer. Well, we did not get to have your thoughts on seasons one or two of Star Trek Picard. Um, I think it's been well documented on subspace that perhaps Cam and I struggled with um, following the plot lines of what was going on in uh, those seasons any given time and, and kind of wondering why um, there's an entirely different character within the skin of one uh, Jean-Luc Picard. But uh, I, I, I don't want to um, sway your personal opinion on Star Trek Picard this series. What's your journey been like for this show so far? I mean, I think anybody who has a long history with Star Trek might might have conflict about or like at least find some parts of Picard difficult like you sort of said there is this different character sort of embodying Jean-Luc Picard I mean he's like supposed to be older and I get that that people have matured and lots of the other things can go through their lives but it's definitely you know the first season was all right 
you know, there was some good parts. Um, there was some really fan servicey parts. There was some <laughs> parts that didn't make any sense, um, you know, plot wise. But I think that's kind of what we're getting from this show in a general sense. Same with sort of season two, like, you know, wh why? <laughs> All the same actors playing different characters, you know, you know, some of it was great. Um, and what was, ha you know, the Borg. Uh, plot underline was pretty good except for that I think the end was a little bit weird how that ended up with Jurati at the end and that, <laughs> yeah that was kind of just like and now she's the Borg Queen and the Borg are good now? Morley Gray? <laughs> she's changed them you know they want to be helpful now and then you know which is interesting because there still seems to be a huge disdain for the Borg in season 3 starting that already you know but anyways we can get into that more as we talk about season three and this episode do you think we'll ever see gerardi borg queen back again oh hell no <laughs> that's one off <laughs> never see her again <laughs> i agree I, I i think that's it like we did it and then you're like okay the borg it's kind of like we're wrapping up the borg plot line with a little bow and you're like we're gonna do something different this time so it would be fun though if they did bring back Agnes uh, Gerardi, you know, as a character in a flashback, and she's being portrayed by, like, say, Alice Krieger, the original board queen, like, that would be a fun, <laughs> you know, fan service there. Yes, for sure. Okay, so we are three episodes in <laughs> to uh, season three of Star Trek Picard. Um, how are you enjoying, like, seeing some familiar faces? How are you enjoying the story that's being told so far? It's always kind of with Star Trek Picard. It's like you're earlier on in the season. They're, they're kind of putting, like, you know, things in place that will, you know, pay off later. But you're still kind of getting those moments with these characters. So, so you know, three episodes in, uh, what's your take on uh, season three? So, so far, it's like, okay. So I guess going into this, I was very, very hopeful because I had heard so many good things. I've heard people, I've watched, you know, I got press access to this. I've watched it three times. It's great, like as a whole. And I'm like, okay. So I'm trying to keep hopeful. And I think for the first two episodes, I was, you know, I was doing okay. Then the third episode happened and I'm like, okay, what the hell just happened in this episode? Because there's so, some things are just seem so out of character. Um, and... Yeah, so, but season three, like, I'm trying to keep an open mind, uh, you know, because I have heard such good reviews. It, it, again, having all these characters back is obviously fan servicey, but it's great to see where they've ended up, you know, you know, Jordi LaForge, and, you know, if you've seen the previews, which I'm sure everybody has, they bring back some, like, characters you, you haven't seen, you know. You know, we've seen Riker again, we've, we've seen him even in Lower Decks, like, you know what he was up to, and... And, you, you know, we've kept current with that or Seven of Nine, but you see, you know, more characters coming back. And that's really, really cool. Um, however, yeah, I, I want to make sure that, like, you know, when, it, when they're bringing these people back, they're not just doing it to be like, hey, look at this guy. He's back. Yeah, look at this guy. It, like, actually, hate services the plot in some way. So, so far, so good, I think. Um... But yeah, what I'm having most trouble with is is some some of what happened in episode three. Um, so far, one and two were were okay by me, but episode three is <laughs> leaving me a lot a little bit confused. Well, I have to ask then, like, what were the elements of episode three that threw you for a loop? 
So, you know, I know Roddenberry's whole thing back in the day was no conflict between crew members. That was, like, mostly a thing that he supported because, you know, we're living so far in the future that we're able to resolve conflict in a more, in a more human way, um, you know, in a more elevated, thoughtful way. Um, but, you know, you're seeing these conflicts between characters and... Which are which is interesting, but like you know, you get the whole Picard and Crusher, Beverly Crusher, that whole thing. That was you know, the acting was great, but the, like the idea that I mean, she was kind of gaslighting him. She's like, well, you know, I just couldn't, and this and that, and you know, really seemed to not be, like you know. So there was a bit of an element of of that conflict that you don't usually see that you're seeing more in the new series but then at the same time like how or her approach it like i don't know if i can go like oh yeah beverly was totally right but in doing that like justify uh her keeping jack from um jean-luc but uh yeah it just her, her it was it was a little bit strange and then and then later in the episode the R riker and picard conflict where picard is like turn around fight him fight this crazy ship with all these weapons. What could go wrong? And obviously, it's like they almost completely forgot about this portal weapon. They just completely forgot that it was there. <laughs> and, and like, 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 that was the whole thing. Oh, we introduced this thing. It's going to, you know, plop you back out where you just came from. Amazing amount of calculations probably went into making that even remotely happen. You know, let's sci-fi it. You know, sci-fi technology. Let's just sci-fi bullshit it. Um, but yeah, the fact that they seem to forget that when they were firing on, <laughs> on the other ship, just like, okay, like, and then the conflict of, at the end, like, you know, Riker's just like, get the hell out of here, you just doomed us. <laughs> like, f you know, Picard is doing something that's like out of character, advocating, like, you gotta fight, you just gotta fight, you just gotta do it. That they've completely forgotten that this device exists that could just like poop their, <laughs> their their photon torpedoes or whatever back at them, and then at the end, you know, Riker's blaming Picard for the whole problem that he had pushed him, but it's Riker's command decision to do that. It wasn't, you know, it's not like it was Jean Luc navigating the ship. He tried, you know, he took his advice and he's like blamed him for that. And I was like, look, take responsibility. You guys both seem to forget that there was a portal device that could, you know, screw you guys over and pop out your photon torpedoes again. And uh, so it was just like that. Some of that was like really confusing. Like why any of that, like I get trying to, you know, conflicts interesting. And, uh, but at the same time, you know, some of it was like to forward the plot. I, you know, obviously, I guess, but like, why would Picard advocate to fight when they were just talked about? Oh, we got to save the ship. We got to make sure these people get home. And like, you know, maybe Shaw was right. Maybe Shaw was like, screw these guys. They don't know what they're doing anymore. And maybe they don't. <laughs> maybe he was right. Maybe I'm a Shaw apologist now. <laughs> has picard ever shown like a uh a tendency to like leap into action like that to be the one who's like we've got to fight now i don't recall a lot of incidents of picard being like okay let's roar into battle right now that always seemed like more of a riker thing yeah i mean he was all diplomacy and this and that and and talking things through and definitely more of like the, like that diplomat then then Riker was kind of like the action guy you know mm. so yeah, I, as far as I can remember like you don't see that sort of 
uh, like willingness to fight as much from Picard. Like you know, diplomacy. Like you know, if if they figure out that this is all about Picard, anyways, the show's called Picard, so it's probably you know the Shrike is probably after them because of Picard. Could they? Could he be like, okay, fine. You know, it's just like let's talk this through person to person. Let's you know, why do you want me? Let's figure that. But that wouldn't be interesting for the show, obviously. But instead, we'll have this conflict. Which in that conflict though, it just it seemed like artificial mm-hmm. to me. It, it didn't seem like organic coming from those characters. Yeah. It was more like about tactical decisions. But they are kind of you know, sticking the needle in there by making references. You know, you're you're guided by fear of loss, for example, or you know, you're all uh, you're you're all on uh, adrenaline because you found out you have a son on this ship. You know, it's just like that sort of stuff. I'm just like, eh. Like, would those characters actually be like that? And people would be like, oh, no, it's called character growth. I'll give them this. I mean, we've never seen Riker in a captain situation before in a non-comedic setting, a.k.a. Lord Dax. Yes. So maybe this is how he captains. I, I Like, I'm not sure. But it's just, I don't know. And then watching Picard slink off the bridge at the very end, like an old man who just had his driver's license taken away from him. You know, it just kind of... <laughs> yeah. It just... It doesn't feel like we're watching these characters, you know? And I, I'll bring it up again. That was not Troy in that subspace transmission in that flashback sequence at the bar. That was 100% Marina Sirtis playing herself. And so um, that's why I have to praise Michael Dorn as Worf and um, Gates McFadden as Crusher more than anyone else. It totally felt like they were playing their characters. Yeah. And um, even Worf just being like kind of like taking the edge off of Worf and saying, like, look, I don't need to pull out your fingernails. Like, that's okay. Uh, I can find better ways, you know? Like, that's the sort of stuff that felt, like, more natural, but also kind of a development, like a natural development of that character, too. Yeah, I think that having... I think the best part of this episode was... Well, I guess towards the end of the second episode, but the best part of this third episode was the Worf parts. Like, it's great to see Michael Dorn back, and he looks amazing, like, for his age. Oh, my God, he's so handsome. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and he's he's just you know he does wharf so well he's still wharf you know and and um yeah i was just i was so happy with those parts of i think that was some of my favorite parts of the episode because it was so true to character um you know other other than saying like oh i've evolved and i you know he was when he was younger he was so you know uh not like ferocious but he was like you know uh antagonistic occasionally you know he's he was a klingon he ran his blood run hot so he had that fight in him and to see like oh i'm trying to take a more civilized approach i mean at least it's like they're like i'm growing as a character this is why i might seem different you know um i think that you know i really enjoyed his aspects of it and they were like they were they were humorous too and and uh, so it was great to have that sort of break the tension. Though the Raffi plot line where she's on this planet in, you know, with dealing with the drugs. <laughs> like, why would you accept that assignment? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, 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 I always wondered if, like, Michael Dorn would be able to carry on as a lead of this proposed Worf spinoff that he's been pitching for the last 10 years. Um I don't know if Worf from the 1990s would have been suited for kind of the lead role. Um, this iteration of Worf, at least after, you know, one and a half episodes, essentially, um, I dig him. He feels like a character you would 
go into battle with and trust, not just go into battle with because you want to like fight to the death, you know? So I, I am digging what they're doing with the character so far. Yeah, I was actually thinking about that. Michael Michael Dorn has been pitching that Wharf series for a while, and maybe who knows if the reception of the his his uh, renewed portrayal of Wharf hits. Maybe the people actually start listening to him because <laughs> I mean the cl whole Klingon story. You know, we've seen it a lot. We've seen it in Discovery. They didn't really do it service, but it would be great to like explore Wharf as this guy sort of walks between two worlds. Um, and you know what he's sort of up to, and he's he's such had led such an interesting life up to now, and what is he's been you know what he's up to, and how that progresses. It would it'd be interesting as long as it doesn't end up like a, like the Picard show, which you know is so weird sometimes. <laughs> so you know I'd hope it'd be more like a like a, a strange new worlds than. A, <laughs> Not that I hate Picard or anything. I just like there's just some very confusing plot devices that are just happening for the sake of drama and uh yeah, the, you know, it's I was I was literally talking to Carmen being like, "I don't know what they're doing with this. I I don't know why they <laughs> did have the stuff in this episode that they did do." Wait, uh by the end of the season, Worf will be a uh a positronic at, at that point. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. What have you thought of the Jack Crusher revelation in Picard having a son? Eh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. It's like, eh. Okay, yeah. sure. Like they introduce this character and they immediately, oh, he's, you know, he's uh, Crusher's son, and you're like, okay. And then he's definitely Picard's son, then, right? Or like, woo, big reveal. Like we could all see it coming a mile away. I feel like it wasn't. Well, I mean, I was wondering if it, he was supposed to be a Jack Crusher clone, you know, like uh, the original Jack Crusher. Um, that's uh, clearly not the case now. So, um, so yeah, I guess, you know, like, I'd rather him be Picard's son than a clone of Jack Crusher, which just seems kind of strange. We and as I said gross. to um, Cam last week, it, like, wouldn't it be weird that like, you're attracted to your son? Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> you, you know, so, yeah. um... Yeah, uh, I guess we dodged that bullet there. Speaking of weird, there was that moment where they were de-aged in the episode, and Riker is saying to Picard, <laughs> like, I hope one day you understand the joy of being a parent or something. And I was, like, looking at, like, 80-something-year-old Patrick Stewart, and I was like, I just can't imagine a world where I would, like, walk into, like, I don't know, like, approach, like, 80- or 90-year-olds and be like, you know, I hope one day you are a parent. It's like I I know it's the future. I mean, they are de-aged, yeah. right? In that in flashback, so maybe he's like sixty, or I don't know how old he's supposed to be. I don't know, but uh, still, it's yeah. I mean, it's it's interesting because well, there that is a fertility <laughs> thing. Like men are fertile uh, until they're a million years old, and that's just the way of things. So he could father a child as an octogenarian. So. Not uh, without the realm of possibility. I think you're both forgetting the fact that Rios was a son to Picard, as was established <laughs> mm. in season two. Yes. You know, and so the ages work out right there. So, um, you know, I, I had no idea that Rios and Picard were kind of like um, father-son figures. But uh, season two made that very clear in that one line in the middle. What's the 17 seconds moment between Rios and Picard? Oh, um... What is it? It, it, it? You know, it's when um, <laughs> he beams into the middle of a, an apartment complex and falls off and lands on the uh, ground. And uh, 
<laughs> Picard Picard has to spend 17 uh 17 hours searching for him uh through the ice database. Not bad. There you go. There you go. So maybe I missed it because I'm I'm thick. I don't know. But what was the 17 seconds referencing in this episode? Well, it's uh, Riker at the start in the de-aged section talking about oh, when yes, his son Thaddeus sun. was being born. Oh, right. Yes, yeah. of course. And the 17-second turbo lift ride down to the med bay to make sure that things were okay and how it was just torture for those 17 seconds. And then we got that replicated at the end of Picard on the turbo lift going to see Jack. Yes. Yeah. Okay. There we go. That's the parallel. Yeah, I was like, you know, it's called 17 seconds. Which 17 seconds are we talking about? Or is it just talking about that this episode just feels longer than it is? <laughs> it's 17 seconds yes, longer? Yeah. Wow. I'm not. I'm, 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 I'm ripping on it a little too hard. But, you know, there. I'm, I'm here for the jokes. <laughs> yeah, it's all in good fun. Look, uh, Cam and I had a ton of fun, uh, like, podcasting about season two because we're like, just mocking the the show nonstop and not in that kind of like new trek hater way where it's just um like people just ripping on it because they think uh you know like oh no diversity it's more like um <laughs> we have no idea what the plot is and why the characters are making these um nonsensical decisions and that was the stuff that we were just kept like like scratching our heads about for an entire season it's making fun because we love not because we hate you know and uh i i think that even as a fan of any series, you have to be, one, open to them screwing things up occasionally and to taking that, like, rolling with the punches. Like, you know, not a Fairweather fan. You know, I'm only going to like this show and they better not show any diversity. Ooh, I'll be so mad. They don't have diversity in future <laughs> space times. You know. No, I, well, I was curious as to why, you know, uh, you had gotten an Elnor tattoo recently, uh, Taylor. So that, yeah. that explains a whole lot. <laughs> You know, Elnor was just such a, you know, he's so dear to me. Sorry, my, hopefully that that didn't pick up the recording. My Siri popped up for some reason. I think uh, your Siri is programmed to hear Elnor. (laughs) So that's why uh, it it, it chimed in. Yes, yeah. I'm just such a huge Elnor fan. I don't know. uh, The one thing that I really loved about this episode is Gates McFadden's hair. Can anybody, that hair looks amazing. Mm, yeah. She's gorgeous. She's aged amazingly silver too. Fox. She's a silver yeah. fox. I like, I encourage everybody to go gray as gracefully as, as Gates McFadden has. Like, obviously like it's dyed and styled and all this stuff, but I just can't get over how like smooth and silky and like the colors blend. I'm just like, Ooh, wow. I hope I look like that when I am however old she is. Probably not that, not as old as maybe uh some people would think but you know she just she looks so young she's aged so gracefully she's still got her acting chops down like i think you know there's so many good things to take away from from her as an actor but maybe not the dialogue she was necessarily given or like the part that she's playing with this sort of gaslighting like this is it's your fault that i didn't tell you about jack it's all your fault you know Weird. Well, what did you think about Commando Crusher in episode one? Commando Crusher? I I mean... <laughs> She's just like shooting up uh, the invaders on the ship. And uh, I just like Cam and I, we were at Fan Expo uh, the other week and uh, we had like one uh, attendee asking her a question and kind of rah-rahing her going guns a-blazing in the first episode. And Cam and I were like, eh, that's not really Dr. Crusher that we know and love. Whereas like, 
episode three is more like, oh, this feels like Dr. Crusher again. And, and like Gates McFadden has like a good stronghold on, on who this character really is versus I don't think Patrick Stewart. I, I think Patrick Stewart's playing Patrick Stewart in Star Trek Picard. Mm, yeah. I mean, uh, as for the shoot em up scene, yeah, it's not her. It's just, she's a healer. She's very been always this like big maternal figure. I mean, does not to say in TNG she doesn't kick ass. Like she does. She she's you know a great scientist. She's self like amazing problem. She's even had to take over the ship and 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 do everything herself. Like you know, I think as a character she's super cool. Um, going missing for twenty years and then having to deal with I don't know pirates and all these people after her. Maybe that would just be. A necessary thing she would need to learn how to do be more badass while you're out kind of on the run you know and and you know um, perhaps jack learned from that but you know they, a lot of things can happen in 20 years i mean they they show how much seven nine has changed you know what her time is you know how how she's evolved the more humanity and things like this but yeah i i, I mean i didn't hate it i didn't say it's not our character i'm like this is a reasonable thing if you're on the run you can learn how to fight for sure i mean she's not gonna like medical them into submission <laughs> <laughs> well we've seen people knock out uh enemies with hypo sprays which are strange new worlds it could work could work it could it could work i'm just waiting for somebody to do a vulcan nerve pinch like i know your anatomy Pah. <laughs> yeah yeah now where would you like to see this season go like how would you like to see the series picard wrap up Oof, that's a that's a big question. I mean, I'm interested to see where these, from the previews, where these other plot parts stay. We see LaForge, we see Lore, we see Moriarty. Like, when, how, I'm it's so interested because it does seem like we're really, really involved with this whole Shrike, this whole Daystrom Institute heist, like that whole plot line. So it's, I'm like, okay, where are we going from here and how do we get to those other parts you know is lore behind all of this why would he be working with changelings like there's just so many questions that i would like to see answered and you know there it will wrap up a lot of these storylines so that that'll be good but you know some of them kind of felt wrapped up to begin with in that you know we have uh lore you know we know what happened to lore you know we you know what happened to moriarty got put in his little hollow cube and stashed away you know and but um was he stashed away the holocube i somebody said something about uh the holocube was stashed away in the same prison that they keep peanut hamper from lower decks um i uh, think that makes sense i think yeah. Uh, yeah i wonder if that'll actually be in the show because they lower decks really does stick to continuity <laughs> very very Strongly. Well, if Peanut Hamper show, it is the secret weapon that they stole from the Daystrom Institute, and this entire season revolves around Peanut Hamper as the ultimate villain behind everything, I, I say <laughs> hats off to you, Star Trek Picard writers. You have turned me all around. This has been a genius move this entire time. I want to see Picard like doing like a running tackle and taking like Peanut Hamper out of the air. <laughs> that's like <laughs> that. That's how Picard goes out, like tackling her off a cliff. <laughs> yes, that's the end of the series. Series wrapped. He defeats Peanut Hamper, the true <laughs> ultimate evil of the universe. She's behind everything the whole time. He went out as he lived, tackling the unknown. <laughs> well, the, the series ends. It, it's him uh, tackling Peanut Hammer off a cliff, and then it's just freeze frame. <laughs> and halfway oh. down the cliff and then you have um 
the uh, the credits roll after that. But it's it's not the TNG theme song that uh, runs. It's uh, for whatever reason, it's uh, Enterprise theme song. Oh, of course, of course. <laughs> it's been a long road. Yes. <laughs> everybody like as soon as somebody mentions that song everybody just feels like they need to sing oh it. yeah and i can't blame them it, it it it's a song like 20 years ago i was like what is this monstrosity but over the last two decades i'm like i love this song do never do not ever take this away from me you cannot have it they gave us lyrics and we were like what the hell and then it grew on us over time to become like nostalgic you know remember when we had this horrible but great <laughs> theme song i think we've even uh carmen and i we used to host karaoke at the storm crow and we've had people do faith of the heart for karaoke obviously a nerd bar that's gonna happen right oh yeah yeah and like Cam and I, we've seen that at the conventions uh, many a time as well. So, and people love singing along to that one during the chorus. And they perform it in front often of Anthony Montgomery and um, Dominic Keating or, or Connor Trenier. We've seen that happen many a times. They're like, not well, again. Yeah, <laughs> the the joke is over for them. <laughs> well, I think Connor Trenier likes it. That that's my understanding now. So, um, Taylor. It's absolutely wonderful having you back. Hopefully, it won't take another pandemic to do so. Um, yeah. And oh, just quickly, have you been uh, following Star Trek Strange New Worlds up at this point? Yes, I have. It is so good. What are your thoughts? <laughs> so good. Yeah, yeah. It's... There you go. Yeah. <laughs> We're enjoying it. Yeah, too. no, I, I I, mean, I could... We could do another whole other podcast about how... <laughs> I would have to rewatch the series again, but I am 100%. Carmen's on board. We're both on board with how everything's turning out. Like, just the... Even... I love the storyline. We know how the storyline with Spock and, and, oh my god, I can't remember her name all of a sudden. Oh, Una? U no, not Una. But we do know how that ends. At Chapel? Yeah, Chapel. We know how that ends. We, 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 but it's fun to see how these things are getting there and then they become friends and, you know, every, everything to do with their relationships. It's been, it's been great. So they're doing a really good job with Strange New Worlds and I hope they keep it up for season two. Well, who has better hair, Gates McFadden or Anson Mount? I don't know. I don't know. That... <laughs> They're like, my my mother-in-law would be messaging me. She's like, did you see Anson Mount's hair? His hair is so amazing. I wish I had <laughs> hair like that. So I haven't gotten any messages from my mother-in-law about Gates McFadden's hair yet. But, you know. <laughs> okay. So we'll go with Anson Mount for, for the mother-in-law vote. Okay. <laughs> Excellent. Taylor. Hopefully we'll not take another pandemic to get you back on the show. But if anybody wants to find you, if there's anything you want to share with us, uh, what, what's going on in the digital world of Taylorland? Uh, so, well, first off, if you want to have me on here to talk about Lower Decks, I am so down. Nice. Second of all, nice. um, I will be on season three coming up very, very soon of a little podcast we like to call Dungeon Punks. It's a comedy uh, live play podcast, and we don't just do Dungeons and Dragons. We're doing all sorts of other things. And this third season, we're going to be um, university age superheroes. So it'll be very funny that we have lots of strange powers coming out um, uh, of our little crew. So it'll be funny. It'll be a little melodrama. There's a little bit of everything for everybody in, in the upcoming season. So you can find that uh, wherever you find podcasts. And you know what? Season one and season two are both wrapped. So I'm not in those except for as a guest. But you're welcome to go listen to a great podcast anytime. You know what? I think Taylor... I think you may have been on during the pandemic. I think you were joining us for a Lower Decks episode, because I do recall you talking about Peanut Hamper before. Does that does that ring a bell now? Maybe. 
and shacks. Oh, maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Okay. 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 We figured it out. <laughs> yeah, maybe it was a peanut hamper episode. Maybe I'm just bringing back peanut hamper every time I'm coming on here. It's like, hey, guys, have you forgotten about peanut hamper yet? Well, here I am to remind you. <laughs> <laughs> well, don't worry. There is a Star Trek Peanut Hamper uh, spinoff uh, in the works. So, yeah, <laughs> Finally. We'll get to that soon enough. Yeah, I'm so. starring in it, actually. Well, excellent, Taylor. <laughs> awesome. Um, folks, that's Taylor Ramone, and stick around for the Cam DeLorton Report coming up next. Well, that was great to hear from Taylor. And now, Tyler, another old friend is returning. I'm talking about The Mandalorian. It's been a while since we've talked about the adventures of this particular character and Grogu. What did you think of the premiere of Mandalorian Season 3? Yeah, we're back with the Cam DeLorton Report, and I should preface this by saying that I rewatched Season 2 in its entirety, as well as the last half of Boba Fett, in which uh, Din Djarin uh, returned, and um, <laughs> Boba Fett still sucks. Uh, that that <laughs> finale was pretty terrible, um, despite the fact that uh, uh, you know uh, Mando is in that one too. Um, it was interesting binge watching Mando versus week to week, and I would say that like um, I much prefer the week to week viewing of Mandalorian or Mandalorian. <laughs> Man- <laughs> Your ego is out of control. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it, because the thing is, like when when you watch these episodes back to back, you kind of realize how um, surface level the show is, and it's not as if it's a show like trying to like proclaim that it's like it's deep you know it's it's mostly like it's a show that kind of aims to please they know what kind of buttons to push you know i what was that i think it was michael moore he was talking about the uh movie that uh catherine bigelow was nominated for best director against avatar that year what was it oh the hurt locker yeah and he was talking about how there are like just certain tricks as a director that you can use just to get a reaction out of audiences. Very, very easy. You know, like, will I cut the green wire or should I cut the red wire? And of course that's going to build tension. You know, it's just, so it's like, are there other ways of building like tension that it is a little bit harder to accomplish? And so when you have somebody like Grogu is just like cute as can be and oh look, <laughs> look at what Mando's willing to, Mando's willing to take off his helmet for Grogu it's like that sort of stuff. I'm just like, okay, okay. Um, and, and unfortunately, it also came while I was watching, like, or, or re-watching season two of Picard. I, I, I say Mando is much better than season two of Picard. But thing is, like, at least Picard season two is trying to say something. I, sure. I don't, really, I don't really know what Mando has to say. Like, other than, like, the power of, of companionship is, is strong in, in people. Yeah, I mean, Mando is basically a um, pretty fast-paced adventure show that wants to play with the Star Wars universe and have very easily accessible emotional beats that anyone can respond to. That's kind of the gist of the show. It doesn't have high aims, but what it does do, I think, is create a pretty involving, very well-fleshed-out and handled Star Wars universe. And a character that, despite being limited by a helmet... And, you know, uh, it basically just being a disembodied voice in many ways where Pedro Pascal's not even on set at all in this armor. It somehow really clicks as a character people can connect to. So the show somehow holds me and continues to hold my attention going forward. But, like, 
it is a very, very simple, um, in some ways superficial show. Yeah, I, again, it holds my attention. Like, I'm not bored watching Mandalorian or anything like that. Um, and, and there are, like, interesting things in, in the premiere, uh, you know, what was this? The Apostate, yes. Chapter, what are we up to? Like, 17 or something like that at this point? Uh, yeah. No, that, yeah, 17, yeah. Um, like, I, I honestly thought the the opening sequence was, like, uh, like a flashback sequence as Mando is kind of a foundling and him going to kind of the ritual of becoming a, um, uh, becoming a Mandalorian. Um, and so it was a surprise to see him uh, coming, uh, saving the day. Why are people having this sort of ritual in, like, a <laughs> beast-infested, like, body of water? Like, they must have known that. And the other thing is, where did all these other Mandalorians come from? Because when we were watching um, Boba Fett, uh, like kind of the halfway mark there, episode five or whatever, it was established that there's only like three Mandalorians in that old school sect that were still left. Yeah. And so did um, the, uh, oh, who's it? Uh, Sophie Thacker? or uh, I'm forgetting the name of the uh, Mandalorian woman. Uh but did did she and the uh, the the big tough guy did they go and rebuild in the last what six months or something like more folks in this community like I, it confused me a little bit but um I don't know it, it was a, a cool like surprise that it was not in fact kind of a flashback sequence I don't know, but did you think it was a flashback sequence at, at all at any point Yeah, I did have the same thought you did that it was going to be a flashback to Mando um, being giving him his helmet. Um, I think what it ultimately was, was they did want to fake you out a little bit, but it was also like a, this episode is kind of more of a setup episode. Like some shows when they premiere are really like grab you by the lapels and be like, okay, we're going on an adventure. This one felt like more of kind of an easing into the season, but you could tell they wanted to have a certain amount of kind of big action to keep people entertained. So obviously you've got all the stuff with the, um, you know, the, the starfighters in the asteroids at the end, but they wanted something big up front. So I would say this whole thing was designed just to have that big creature attack. Okay. And well, we, we go from there to Navarro, which no longer looks like a Tatooine ripoff. It, it now looks like a Naboo ripoff. Um, <laughs> is it just like, like obviously some like remodeling done on kind of the uh, architecture and all, but like, were, did they go on like a tree planting campaign or something? Like I, to me, it was just a little disconcerting, like seeing how different Navarro looked, not just in terms of like architecture, but just like uh, topography, I suppose. If you want your uh, town turned around, you put Carl Weathers in charge. That man will deliver every time. Okay. 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 I did love how he had like two little robots holding his uh, big giant uh, high magistrate cloak. Uh, that was that was yeah maybe my favorite little uh, gag that they had uh, throughout the entire episode. Yeah, I really enjoyed that one. I enjoyed that far more than the little Babu Frick aliens we saw towards uh... the end of the episode, where I'm like, <laughs> please do not ever ever give me flashbacks to Rise of Skywalker. I do not need that in my life. I I also had one element of this episode I didn't like, which is the seemingly uh, it's going to be a resurrection of the IG-11 character, the Taika Waititi uh, voiced in season one. This is just like, to me, the classic Disney death thing. It's like, oh, we had this character who had, you know, not a profound arc in season one, but, you know, a nice little arc that was wrapped up very satisfyingly. But it's like, oh, 
people like this character. Got to get him back. Resurrect them now. I'm not a fan of that. Yeah, uh, I'm with you. Um, did this episode have like a legit beginning, middle, end? And, and I mean, like, yes, it literally had a beginning. It had a middle and an end. But this, <laughs> the story felt like it's it just very scattershot. You know, like all over the place. You know, like from you know the start of it was, I guess. Mando yet again reiterating or, you know, repeating to the audience that if he wants redemption, he has to go back to his planet in Mandalore, to the mines, and then he's going back to hang out with uh, Katie Sackhoff, uh, I'm forgetting, uh, oh, Bo-Katan, and she's reiterating that, like, after you got the Darksaber, people disappeared from me, and the episode just kind of ends, and so, like, to me, I, I I thought what Mandalorian did very successfully that we have not really seen in uh, Discovery or Picard is, like, these more, like, kind of episodic adventures that build kind of an underlying, like, uh, arc throughout the entire season. And this just seemed more like, hey, let's just have um, one big giant story running throughout this entire season rather than having these kind of mission-based episodes that became... Very, 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 very familiar as I binge-watched season two of Mandalorian. Yeah, I mean, this one, when you look back at, like, the, was it the premiere of season two where you had, like, the Timothy Oliphant and, like, there was the big monster in the town? Yeah. Like, that felt, like, much more of a really strong launch to that season where it is a very standalone story, introducing elements that'll pay off later, but just, like, a really exciting adventure, you know, hour of television this one to me just felt like a very soft kind of like queue up for a season. And like you said, it, it did not have like a hard ending to it. It did not feel like, okay, there's a really fun Mando adventure. Let's see where the season goes. It felt like kind of a, I don't want to say meandering because I didn't find it slow paced or I wasn't getting frustrated with it, but it felt very kind of inconsequential in the scheme of the franchise of this show. Like, when all is said and done, we are not going to look back on the premiere of season three Mandalorian as a significant Mandalorian story. I, I just ultimately, I, I, I don't think it felt cohesive as, it, look, it was called chapter 17. This did not feel like a chapter. It, it felt like um, we read one third of a chapter uh, out of a book at this point. Yeah. And we just kind of left it off arbitrarily in the middle of the chapter. So... Okay. Um. Uh. Oh, question. Uh, you 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 know much more about the Star Wars universe than I do. Um. So, Grogu. Okay. Din is is taking a nap as they go off in hyperspace to uh the Mandalorian castle where uh, Bo-Katan is hanging out. And yeah, in hyperspace, Grogu is looking over and it is okay. There's obviously like, um aliens moving in these hyperspace kinds of uh tunnels or however it works is is does that mean like it's just grogu's ability to perceive them or are those faster than light aliens are they visible to kind of humanoids if they're looking at it or like have these kind of faster than light aliens been established before in star trek or in star wars lore or or I I I mean remember maybe we saw something in season one and I'm just forgetting or I I, I don't know I, I just felt a little lost in that moment. 
I have no idea. They are not familiar to me unless I too have forgotten them from an earlier episode of The Mandalorian. Um, I think they wanted kind of a wondrous visual and I think it worked in that regard. It could be something for all I know from like an animated show because they have ported over several elements from shows like Rebels and Clone Wars. So like maybe there is like a creature in space that flies through, you know, hyperspace beams or whatever the wording is uh but i'm not familiar with it okay um like uh like mando this is fine yeah it's yeah it's it's like i got mad at this episode it's just kind of like i watched it's like yeah that's fine you know yeah um, onwards and hopefully upwards yeah yeah look it's a show i enjoy watching i like the fact that it's on like wednesdays you know it's kind of middle of the week you know, I usually most like kind of prestige TV shows. They all kind of like jam them in on Sundays, and you kind of have to either kind of like uh, fit them all in in one evening, so you're not left behind in like I don't know Facebook discussions or whatever. Um, speaking of which, I do recall just I don't know this is like eight months ago where I was suggesting to people on a Star Trek Facebook group that Discovery season five it might be the last, and I can't tell you how much I was just oh boy. <laughs> like excoriated like i i was told like we don't need your hating kinds of people here i'm just like i'm not saying i hate the show i'm just saying like there's not really an economic model oh people ripped into me so there you go um those are my thoughts on uh, mandalorian <laughs> okay so on that note our assignment is complete if you enjoyed listening to this episode we want to hear from you jump on over to the facebook page at facebook.com slash subspace pod and of course next week we'll be back with a review of episode four of picard season three no win scenario <laughs> is that what it's called no win scenario it is i like how you thought it was a is me describing <laughs> how this season is feeling like <laughs> but it's in fact the name of the episode that's you projecting sir <laughs> would have been more applicable in uh, season two i think that title but okay yeah. okay Okay, you can, of course, find us on the Twitter. I'm at Cam V as in Vatic. Not enough of her in this episode, Smith. And you can find me at Reportin. That's R as in Raffaella. E-P-O-R-T-O-N. Okay, so until next time, the arena is closed. I'm here for the jokes. (laughs) 